Welcome to Concept to Creation, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs who share their business journey. We'll hear what motivated them to turn their dreams into a business. They'll share stories from the trenches of business, from raising capital, creating products or services, navigating regulations, hiring employees, and managing competition and growth. We'll discover their successes and failures, and they'll provide advice for budding entrepreneurs. Now, here's your host and fellow entrepreneur, Mike Conrad. Welcome to another episode of the Concept to Creation podcast. I'm so glad you're with me today. My guest today is Christine Davies. She is the founder and CEO of Polygage. Christine has built her 20-year career around the intersections of public and private sectors with leadership roles in the government, business, technology, and not-for-profit sectors. Many of you who are just starting your company might feel like you're in the not-for-profit sector, even though you don't intend to be. But at any rate, um, she's worked in the for-profit and non-for-profit sectors, both in the United States and internationally. Christine is currently a member of the Business 20 or B20 Task Force on Employment and Education during Italy's G20 host year. And she was also selected as a member of the Mindshare class of 2021, a forum of startup CEOs across the Washington, D.C. area. Christine most recently served as Vice President for Partnerships at the Asia Society, and she previously worked as a Business Development Manager within the Public Sector Services Division at Microsoft. Earlier in her career, Christine served at the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative and U.S. Department of State, where she worked on a variety of global and economic and development issues as the International Trade Specialist at the American Chamber of Commerce in Thailand. Christine earned her MBA from the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business and her undergraduate degree from the University of Maryland at College Park. So Christine, welcome to the Concept Creation Podcast. So thanks so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be with you and all of your viewers and listeners. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I'm glad you're here. Um, I, I have a lot of questions that I'm eager to ask you. Um, but before we get into... Uh, polygage and and what it does um you know we we did read uh, your uh, bio it's a extremely impressive uh, bio uh, you've w- woven through all sorts of businesses both nationally internationally uh large and small i i it's it's quite an impressive um business career and political career for that matter uh, but give me the kind of the color commentary beyond what i've already read your experience. A lot of people have experience and they don't uh, jump into the cold end of the deep pool and start their own business. So uh, what was the motivating factor to start your own business? And and tell me a little bit about the journey that led you to that that motivating factor. Yeah, of course. Um, I have tried to squeeze as much out of, you know, the years as I've been able to and and kind of continue to do that. That's one of my governing philosophies, make the most out of the the time that we have. Um, But I think, you know, what Polygage really sort of originated from initially was that I'm a native of the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I've been interested in the government and politics realm since I was a child. Uh, My father was a civil servant uh, with an intelligence agency. I've had teachers my whole life who've really uh, pushed civics, you know, as as an area of study. Uh, I chose to major in government and politics at the University of Maryland. Um, And I've actually had a chance now to be engaged in government activity at all levels. You know, I interned with the Maryland State Senate uh, when I was in high school. As you've mentioned, my first jobs out of college were with two real global uh, federal government agencies. And because of the global nature, you know, of those of those uh, departments and agencies, you know, I've had the opportunity to be engaged with capitals all over the world, have traveled to them, have met with them, you know, in the United States, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, I think that that definitely leaves an impression and, and, and built my uh, just continued to build my my interest and my exposure if you will, to the way that the government, the political and the policy worlds uh, tend to work. The pivot to business really came out of, you know, my observation when I was still working within the public sector about the different roles, you know, that the public and private sectors really have in our society. Um, You know, from my experience, the government or the public sector They're really laying down the yard lines, they're writing the rule books, they're refereeing the games, Uh, but it's the private sector that's on the field running plays and scoring points. 
and I really decided that I wanted to be on the field. So uh, I pivoted and got my MBA, as you've mentioned, after my government service. I had a great sales and marketing experience uh, with Microsoft and executive roles with some other organizations. And all of that, you know, experience led to Polygage, which at the core, again, is my attempt to solve a big pain point uh, for the private sector when it comes to public policy and regulation. Uh, but it really has taken kind of the full mantra, you know, of my career to get to this point, to learn the things that I've learned, to see the things that I've seen, and to then, you know, really have the confidence to do what I'm trying to do now. Awesome. I always try and uh, I always find company names interesting, particularly like a name like Polygage, and I try and decipher. I get out my little decoder ring and I try and decipher. So I'm going to take a stab at it. We we I have not wait. rehearsed this before. Political engagement. I'm, yes, is that, it is. Okay, good. Uh, well, po policy and political engagement. Policy. So okay, got, yeah. There we go. Eighty percent there. Okay, very good. Very. I feel very proud of that. That's going to go on my on my uh, scoreboard. Thank uh, you for getting it. Yep. <laughs> uh, People start new businesses for a variety of reasons. Some, some people like me, uh, when I started my business, I saw someone doing something kind of similar, but they weren't doing it very well. In, in my opinion, it, it, they were doing, it was kind of a dorky attempt at, at something. And I thought, you know, they're, they're so close, but they're so far. And, you know, Steve Jobs, he was famous for inventing things, but in reality, he was an exploiter. And I mean that in a complimentary way. You know, he took technology that was used for, you know, other purposes. And he said, I see a greater purpose for this, this technology. And he was able to uh, bring things that were meant for copy machines, like the GUI interface and, and the mouse, and he was able to adopt those for wider consumer use. So some people start a business because they see an opportunity to do it better. And some people start a business because they mm -hmm. see an opportunity to do something nobody is doing. What was in your world? Uh, what was your uh, motivation was it one or the other or something different or both yeah no it's a it's a great question i think for me it's largely the latter um because as i know we'll get into you know it's largely the unique business model and the use of technology that polygage has brought to the table for the government and public affairs industry um, that's really been missing you know over the past uh, really the history of the industry but especially over the past 20 years as we've seen technology and the efficiencies and transparency that technology can provide revolutionize other industries um, and I think, you know, that's probably true because the reality is the government affairs industry, you know, has been around since the days of, you know, when President Ulysses S. Grant was sitting in the Willard Hotel and that's when lobbying was born. That was really when the industry kind of gained its footing. So it's an industry, it's a, it's a business in a sense that's been around for a long time. Uh, but we really looked at it and thought, you know, it's, it's in some ways it's something that we think we can provide a better, you know, experience through our service in, in, attacking or in doing, uh, especially in an industry with such a long legacy of activity. Um, and it's nothing that as far as we've seen, you know, other companies are really trying to do, you know, in this industry. Yeah, very, very good. So I recall 29 years ago when I started my company, um, I never experienced cash exiting my bank account faster than my first year in business. It was just that suction, you know, there it goes. And um, you're in your, I think you're just past your first year in business. You, it, are, you, are you two years old yet, your business, or, or are you coming we, up? We launched it? last May, so we're about a year and a half. A year and a half. A year and a half. It. So, we're, so still, we're still an infant. Yeah, you're still in the infancy stage. Um, so how did you, you know, I don't want to get too personal, but just kind of in a generic sense, how did you um, get your business funding? Uh, do you have investors? Did you, you know, did you shake down the couch for loose change? You know, what was the... What was the motivation, or not, not the motivation, what was the uh, vehicle that, that said, yep. okay, now's the time? Yep. Well, you're so right. There are definitely a lot of people when you're an entrepreneur who want to help you spend money um, <laughs> and try to convince you that you know their product or service is the way that you're going to get from zero to 100 in a matter of days. Um, after I was done shaking out the couch cushions, you know, I really bootstrapped my first year of operations. Um, and, and quite frankly, that was also some time that I took prior to launching uh, in May to get things you know, situated, to get oriented to the real pain points 
uh, of the government and public affairs industry to develop our initial technology. So I gave PolyGage a loan, you know, out of my savings without an expectation of repayment. Uh, but I think that's a, a very wise way to to kind of do explore your bootstrapping in those early days. Um, and then I did go ahead and raise funds. Um, through what are known as safe agreements. So simple agreement for future equity, which I know folks can Google if they want to learn more, but essentially it's a way that your earliest investors get promised future equity when your company has an event that you know values the company, um, whether that's through a, a formal uh, valuation that may happen in a future investment round, uh, or if there's an exit event even before you have to raise you know venture capital or that sort of funding and uh, you end up uh, certainly exiting with a valuation. So um, I've been able to raise just north of about half a million dollars uh, from uh, those safe rounds. And I've targeted doing so just from friends and associates at this point. I've actually had a red line uh, in my mind and I guess in practice about raising money from family because I don't want the holidays to be awkward, uh, but also because I really wanted to raise funds from people who knew the government affairs industry um, and were on the same page of recognizing the pain points and uh, the pain that we were trying to solve with PolyGage because they've ended up not just being fantastic, you know, capital contributors, but they've also been great idea contributors. They've been great sounding boards for me to turn to when I've had questions or, or problems that I've, I've wanted to get some, some perspective on. Um, and so I feel really good about that approach so far. And from a risk perspective, you know, I work hard every day because I want to get my investors a return. Uh, but I do have to say it's nice knowing that I don't have a looming capital call event, you know, interest rates that I've got to be paying, et cetera. So a safe agreement, uh, that approach has worked really well for us to date. I love that. Uh, I'd never heard of a safe agreement before, and I'm not sure if my audience has or not. Maybe I'm the last person in business to, to hear of that. But it's, it's kind of a, a funny name, safe agreement, because it, 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 it may not be as safe as it would appear, but it, it probably <laughs> is one of the more uh, dicey investments, but one of the more, most rewarding if it pays yeah. off, right? Just like I risk reward, there's always a ratio between risk and reward. Vegas figured that out a long time ago in Atlantic City and all that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think for investors who, you know, if you're looking to get, you know, your 10%, uh, you know, annuity or whatever it might be, there's other ways to do that. If you're looking to hopefully get in early on something that has, you know, what I certainly hope will be a 10 to 100x, you know, at least um, return for my investors. It's a great way to do it. And don't feel bad. It's not a, a long-standing uh, agreement. It actually came out of our friends at the at the Y Combinator in Silicon Valley not too long ago. Uh, okay. But it is a vehicle that a lot of us, I think, are trying to use now because, yeah, the truth is it doesn't doesn't require the entrepreneur or the startup to hold much of the of the risk. So yeah. I guess to your point, it's a little safer for us. Yeah, right. And, and uh, more rewarding if it, if it pays off, right? So, yep. and it actually probably increases the odds of paying off because my experience when I, you know, when I finally got to the point where a bank realized I was human and I was a business, you know, which is, doesn't happen right away because in order to borrow money, you have to prove you don't need it. And, you know, that's the, the dichotomy <laughs> of a bank. Um, but I, I probably spent several years in my business running the business to please the bank. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can change the word bank for investor, for venture yeah. capitalist, for, you know, whatever. Um, when people loan you money, they want it back. And, and they, the key to keeping that line of credit open is to have favorable numbers. I probably paid more taxes than I owed because, you know, I probably was a little bit more creative to show more earnings then, well, let me, let me put it this way. I don't want to give the impression I was a tax cheat. I actually, the other way, I paid more taxes because I did not take advantage of the many uh, uh, tax mitigation strategies I could have because that would have lowered my perceived income and that would have made the bank unhappy. So I think when you, when you chase investors, if that is the number one you know, thing in your, in your field of view, you don't necessarily make be best decisions for the company. You make best decisions for your investors, for the bank. Uh, and I think you're, yeah. Yeah, so your safe agreement, people who are willing, you know, the, the, the operative words are future equity, right? Right. These are people that have um, patient money and they're not looking for a, 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 uh, 
a cadence for a timeline of, of payments, right? Uh, this is uh, this is a risk, and they're, and they're probably savvier with their investments. And um, this is probably money that they don't mind risking for a future return, not an immediate return. Listen, I think you're touching on a couple of things that are so important, you know, for anyone listening or watching who's thinking about starting a business, which is that number one, um, the more you have the ability as an entrepreneur to stay focused on the work of the business, which is revenue, 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 product development or service development in pursuit of revenue, 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 <laughs> you know, customer acquisition, revenue, 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 the better off you are. You know, operations should be a minor spend of time. You know, ideally you can, um, whether it's staffing or outsourcing to manage, you know, a lot of those elements, but, you know, needing to be vigilant for sure on things like finances and legal and, you know, other issues that certainly, you know, factor into how we potentially launch and then run our businesses, but trying to minimize the distractions, you know, that can come from what I've already repeated, you know, the, the, the R word 20 times, uh, keep an entrepreneur from doing. It's just so important. And I think too, you know, I got this counsel early in my entrepreneurial journey and I, I've really valued it, which is that if you're in a position which you hope to be in where you can really be considerate about the types of investors that you can take on, that is the best position to be in. You know, don't take money just because it's there. Really evaluate what that relationship, you know, with that investor or contributor is going to look like because I have heard so many horror stories, I'm sure you have too, of people that end up really partnering with investors um, who, if they're not aligned, you know, with your vision of the business, sometimes that's good. They can teach you a few things given their experience, but sometimes it can just make, you know, the daily experience such hell uh, that there's no way you're ever going to get the return, you know, that they are expecting to see. Uh, and that just, you know, that ends up really, I think, hijacking the journey uh, that you're trying to make a success. So, you know, we're not all fortunate enough to be selective uh, in terms of where we get our capital, but I just think it's important for entrepreneurs to be thoughtful as they consider those options. I remember once uh, many years ago, I had an employee come up to me. Uh, we were probably in business 15, 16 years at that point. So we were over the, you know, over the hump. We weren't going out of business tomorrow. You know, every, for the first couple of years, we kept thinking this could be the last day, right? And, and then, and then, you know, we'd survive another day, another day, but this was, we were past that. And, um, he came up and he said that he wanted to buy into the company. And I'm like, why? You know, we're privately held, I, I famous or staunchly privately held, right? I don't, I don't want any other chefs in my kitchen, right? I do want, I, I do treat our team as partners, not in an equity sense, but in, in many other senses. But, um, and he, he was all bent out of shape because I, I politely declined. And, and I told him, I said, you know, the time to invest in a company is when the company needs the money. When, you know, they, the banks are saying no, you know, uh, that's the time that you offer money. You don't wait and sit on the sidelines and then cheer when they're winning. You know, you, 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 you show confidence before the game starts and, and early into the game before you know how it's going to go. You know, that is the risk and, and the reward. There's, there can't be a reward if, if there's no risk. You know, if, if Vegas had a game where you had a 99% chance of winning, not going to be very big odds on that, right? It's, it, you, you know, so uh, at best, even money. So it, it, that was an interesting conversation. And, and, and then I realized I probably sounded like a jerk. I probably sounded arrogant. But I just, you know, I was personally offended by someone wanting a stake of the, in the company and its returns after the battles were fought. You know, it's like, eh, it's a little late to, to become a fan now, you know? I, I hear you. I can appreciate that. And I think, you know, quite frankly, I will, you know, be so just, um, we're not supposed to, you know, be as emotional in, in business. It's just business. We're supposed to kind of keep to the books, but I really will be grateful to my earliest investors for really taking a risk on something that at the point that I approached them, you know, for, for safe agreement capital, it really was just a vision. We didn't have a website at that point. We didn't even really have a business plan put together, 
but they so believed, you know, in the vision of what we're trying to do with PolyGage. And, you know, I think to some degree, uh, they were committed to, you know, my capabilities and what they thought I would be able to do. I know that investors will tell you they're often investing in the entrepreneur as much as they are oh, in the business idea. Absolutely. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful for that. And uh, you're right, you know, for any investors that are listening or watching, they've got to pick their shots carefully too. Absolutely, so. yeah. Um, I do think, you know, you say this, uh, don't don't get emotions in business. I, I do think there is plenty of room in business for gratitude. And yeah, yeah, I wouldn't even call point. gratitude an emotion. I think gratitude is, is it's a human reaction to, yeah. to something. And I think, you know, I, I have so much gratitude for the people who believed in me particularly in the early days, uh, and, and for the challenges that I faced. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't very um, uh, grateful in the moment for the challenges. I'm like, oh, God, why now? What, you know, why me? You know, what, what did I do wrong? You know, but now I look back. So normally when I talk to entrepreneurs on this show, it's closer to the end of their journey than the beginning mm -hmm. of their journey. Um, and, and I talked to them about all the things they learned and particularly the early years, which you're in right now. Um, so you're, you know, you're a little bit, little bit of a time machine because you are in those early years, you're experiencing them in real time. Uh, many of the entrepreneurs I talked to reminisce about the early years, but a lot of the pain and a lot of the suffering, a lot of the worry, a lot of all that has kind of polished off over time and become a little smoother and yeah. almost without fail, every single entrepreneur I talk to probably without fail, every single one I talk to looks back in those early years with, with nostalgia. They, they would not trade those difficult years for anything. And, and I feel the same way. It forged me, right? It made yeah. me a better business person. It made me a better human. Um, and, you know, you don't feel that at the time, but it is for people, I'm a college dropout and I, a lot of entrepreneurs follow that path for, I don't know, it's the way our brains are wired. Um, we're, we're probably just terrible employees. We don't like to follow instructions, so we can only work for ourselves. But, um, you know, I, I think business itself is a unique MBA course, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, you can be smart about it and get your MBA before you, you exercise those skills or you can pick up those skills on the fly. Either way, you're going to pay for an education, right? Uh, you're either going to pay with all the mistakes you make uh, by not knowing uh, and learning on, you know, on your business time, or you're going to pay, you know, formally like you did. Uh, yeah. I think you made the smarter move, but um, now that you're, you're in that growth phase. You're in the phase that many business owners look back on with nostalgic fond memories and, and, and say they, they are grateful for the challenges. Are you, do you feel like you're within that challenging time? And do you feel that, um, that the, the journey is harder than you expected it to be exactly what you expected it to be easier than you expected it to be, you know, Give me a gauge on, on where you are. I know there's no, you don't have a point of comparison because yeah. your business isn't 30 years old, but, but based on what you know now and your experience with business and other businesses that you've had uh, in the past, how do you rate yourself in, in the middle of this uh, growth, uh, the early part of growth? Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, first of all, just what you just said is just further proof that there's no one path right into entrepreneurship and startups. And, um, you know, just to point out, you know, yeah, Bill Gates dropped out or I think he dropped out of Harvard, right? He didn't get his college degree either. And thank God, I think Microsoft has made a lot of great contributions. And, and he started that business, obviously, then pretty young. But then we have Jeff Bezos, who, you know, laid more kind of paving stones in his career through consulting and finance and that sort of thing before launching Amazon. So, you know, whether, uh, you know, the folks that are reading and listening have followed your path, Mike, or maybe they followed more of mine, uh, there certainly are gateways and, and on-ramps into this realm, you know, for everybody. And that's, that's I think, something that's exciting. You, you know, you're exactly right. I, it's hard for me to say, um, is this journey what I expected it to be? I, I tried not to have many expectations, you know, because I just knew that I was kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm big on analogies and visualizations. And I kind of felt like I was standing on the edge of a forest or a jungle 
that I knew that despite my education and my work experience, I had never been in before, right? And so I was just going to, I thought I was armed with the tools and the survival skills, <laughs> you know, and that sort of thing. That's the ultimate, was, we're not in Kansas anymore moment, right? Yeah, and I was ready to, 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 to head in. And then it quickly turned more, I feel like the experience is like trying to climb a rock wall. And you spend your days just looking for that next hold, you know, to move to as you're trying to get up the wall. And some days you may slip a bit. And some days you find, you know, a, a slew of, hold, of holds in succession. And so you're climbing a little more quickly, you know, for that element of the rock face. Um, I think like many entrepreneurs, I really thought that the day that we launched, you know, we were going to be a true overnight success. Um, and it turns out, you know, we, we have been achieving our successes and our holds, you know, throughout this journey, as I mentioned, now 18 months in. But I have to smile when I think of, you know, I, I'm continually seeking, um, you know, counsel and, and just guidance from people who've been there, done that from an entrepreneurship or a startup perspective. And one of them said, Christine, in startup world, five years is like an inc incredibly impressive overnight success. You've been at this for 18 months. Please, <laughs> you know, yeah. just be glad there's still a rock. Uh, right. And you're still you're still holding on. So well, it's like Yogi yeah. Berra. It's like a Yogi Berra line. You know, I can picture him saying it takes years to be an overnight success. You know, that yeah, that's maybe right. he did say that. But that's you're right. I mean, overnight is in, in, measured in dog years, not in I, human years. I think that's a great I think that's a great point. And, you know, so I guess for me, um, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be different from any of the other experiences I'd had before. But I will say, you know, going back to the point just a few minutes ago about emotion, you know, I am living with my decisions day in and day out, right? I mean, the buck stops with me with everything <laughs> that we do. Um, and that can be stressful. I mean, there's no one else to point a finger at. There's no one else to, you know, slough off, you know, some of the big decision making to. I'm grateful that because of uh, the investment we've been able to raise and the revenue we've been able to earn, you know, I've got a terrific young woman who's who's working for me. And then we have a number of, of consultants who do various uh, things for us. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's on my shoulders. Um, and that means you are fully engaged and there's not a lot of opportunity for other distractions. Um, and so, you know, the commitment level that is required for this is real. And I think something that needs to be understood by folks who are considering it. So your business model is very interesting um, and impressive. Maybe not for the reasons that you think I would say, but one of the things I've noticed from my 30,000 foot view right? I don't know your company intimately, but one of the things I picked up on uh, is you, you mentioned that your, you know, your seed capital uh, was about half a million dollars, uh, which is very impressive. I also saw a video of you talking about that your company is giving away, is Operation Hope the right? Uh, yes, wonderful partner, wonderful organization. Your operation is giving away $500,000 worth of in-kind services. Yep. You're giving away basically the same value as your startup capital. I also see on your website uh, and or your YouTube channel specifically that you have dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of power hour videos, as you call them, with experts and, and yourself giving away knowledge. You, your company, um, I'm convinced your company will be successful in the world of, you know, I don't want to get too metaphysical or spiritual or whatever, but your company is giving away uh, valuable information. You're already partnering with people who will be your customer. You're paying it forward in, in a way that is extremely impressive for a young company. And to me, that tells me you have confidence in what your company does and what it offers. Uh, you're willing to um, serve your industry, um, whether or not they become a client. Uh, that is a huge investment to put out of goodwill. And um, it, it's, it's unusual for a company, you know, in its infancy to just have a pay it forward kind of model. 
Well, a, a couple of things on that, and I, I really appreciate um, you're taking the time to, to see some of the things that we're doing and, and, and trying to leverage as we as we grow. I would take the, the second point first. The Power Hour videos are largely a marketing tool and an awareness sure. generating tool for us uh, because our business model, which you know, I'm sure we'll get into in a little more depth, is you know we have a network at this point of 150 world-class firms from around the world and in many cases, multiple experts from each of those firms, you know, in public policy and government and public affairs. They're available for very modular engagements, by which I mean 30 and 60 minute consultations. They're available for a one-off project. They're also available for more recurring services in the advisory and advocacy realm. And just like a product, you know, you kind of need a test drive in some ways before you're going to put your credit card down. Uh, and so for us, you know, you can certainly read their their bios. We're very transparent, you know, on our website. We make them all very searchable and filterable based on our uh, knowledge attribute architecture. But at the same time, we wanted to give them a very low cost way to show, you know, what's in their brains and what their experience has brought to the table um, so that it would be demonstrable, you know, to our prospective clients. And ideally, we focused those power hour webinars on very, you know, uh, headline oriented topics in the public policy and government affairs realm. So they also provide some education, you know, to our prospective clients if they're at the end of the spectrum where they don't really know a lot about what's happening in government uh, and why that should be important to them and to their company. Uh, so you have that piece and we hope it then spurs them to say, I really should talk to this person, you know, and get a sense of what they're talking about kind of at a general level, how it specifically applies to me and to my company and how we might be able to better engage to mitigate that risk or take advantage of that opportunity. So so that is that is really the the approach for why we made that content free because we really wanted it to spur, you know, sales and I think that's a that's an important aspect I think that comes back to your fuller question is Anytime a company invests time in creating any sort of an asset, whether you choose to give it away, you know, for free in terms of marketing or awareness generation, or you choose to sell it, you know, what is your return, you know, kind of trajectory? What are you thinking, you know, might be possible out of that? On the Operation Hope point, um, and actually, you know, I've, I've volunteered to be an assist to a number of other organizations. They're a wonderful nonprofit which assists um, disadvantaged communities with financial literacy. They end up mentoring a number of, um, you know, folks that would like to be entrepreneurs or small business founders, but aren't entirely sure of how to do that. Um, and certainly, especially in those cases, local, you know, regulation uh, and government issues come into play. And so, you know, we really think that paying it forward, you know, creating good karma, but just being good corporate citizens, that's really an important part of just living a good human experience. And, you know, I don't think everyone agrees with that. A lot of folks are very um, stovepiped. They see companies as generating economic value. And then if you want to do socially good things, there's other channels through which to do that. And I respect those leaders, you know, they that's the beautiful thing about our country, at least, is that we have those choices. I think for me, it's great to have Polygage's brand, you know, aligned uh, with the concept of, you know, wanting to be helpful, wanting to help our clients succeed, solve problems, uh, you know, capitalize on opportunities. And so to your point, there's a lot of ways that companies can do that. Um, and while the absolute goal is, you know, financial success that allows us to have a longer term trajectory, I think there are a lot of different levers that companies can pull in the marketing, awareness, partnership, doing good, you know, realm uh, that really are good for the company in the whole. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We, we started a very similar uh, philosophy of marketing about seven, eight years ago. We were in the marketing game. We were you know, braggadocious. We were buy our machines. Our pumps are better than their pumps. And this is better than that. And we're faster and we're cheaper. And we're this and this sexier. Da, da, da. Um, and then it just, it just became apparent after 20 plus years of doing that. It just became noise. It was just noise, right? Everyone had a different frequency of noise, but it was just noise. So we changed to an educational model. You know, one of the reasons I do these podcasts, I do several podcasts for our industry is to educate the industry. And, and um, we produce webinars, technical webinars. We give a lot of advice, a lot of information away. 
not because we're a, a nonprofit organization or we want to be a nonprofit organization, but because it's a savvy marketing move because I believe educated people make educated choices and we consider our company an educated choice. And, uh, and I sell a product that most people think they don't need, uh, you know, because I, I sell a product that used to be very common 30 years ago and then technology changed and, and successfully, many people successfully got away from using our product. And now technology is getting so intricate, so small miniaturization, all these things with electronics that people yeah. need our product again. But, but, you know, unless you're really old and been in this business for, you know, more than 30 years, you don't remember the fact that people used to use products like ours. So it's a re-education. You're in a similar boat. And one of the questions I was going to ask you, and, and you kind of halfway answered it through, you know, talking about the motivation to do all these uh, power hour videos and things like that. But how do you go about selling a product that people don't, even, they're not even aware that product exists. And I'm talking about being able to be connected to government leaders, being able to have a seat at the table to um, influence government decisions for the benefit of your industry or your business. I did not know there was, a, I mean, short of hiring a lobbyist and, you know, playing with the big boy, big boys and big girls. I, I, you know, I would never consider. Uh, I never knew there was a business that could give me a seat at that table. Uh, so, yeah. I, I know your business is more than that. But, but how do you go about selling people on something that well, had no idea it existed? Yeah, no, I think, um, and, and this is you know what I'll talk about from a poly gauge perspective. I think is true for any business where you're going to have a spectrum, you know, of prospective customers. And they're all going to have varying degrees of knowledge, you know, about the industry or the kind of segment that your product or service is trying to address. Some are already going to be power users and so are, are very inclined, you know, to want to engage. And so you have a special, you know, message for them about, we'll help, you know, we're ready to, to meet you now and we can help you get to where you want to go faster. And then for those on the end of the spectrum, I think to your question that maybe aren't quite as knowledgeable or maybe even aware of that they have a problem that's percolating on the horizon and they should care and that your product or service, your company is a way to address it, you have a different approach, you know, and, and really work on targeting that pool of customers. Um, I would say in our case, you know, our customers have a varying understanding of the importance of government affairs really as a business competency. And I push, you know, understanding and engaging uh, in government affairs as being on the same level for companies as having a marketing capability or having a finance or operations capability. And the reason for that, um, I think it's also important from a, you know, positioning your company and making sure you really do have uh, some power to make a difference and to achieve the things that you're setting out to achieve is that we have some really powerful statistics on our side to make a case to all of our prospective customers. Um, you know, organizations like McKinsey, uh, at least in our case, from a B2B business and a professional services business, they do some terrific studies. They have access, of course, to thousands of executives around the world. And there's a study that I point to all the time for a polygauge perspective, where they talk to hundreds, you know, of top corporate executives um, and they found that the business value at stake from government and regulatory intervention around the world, not just in the United States, but it's equal to roughly 30% of earnings for companies in most industries mm. and 50% of earnings for those in the financial services sector because of the additional regulatory you know, uh, burden and, and other uh, policy issues that those types of companies face. I don't know an executive who isn't concerned about something that poses a risk to 30 to 50% of their earnings. And having that study, you know, to share with folks who, who may be skeptics or don't really understand, you know, government affairs, what really is it? Well, it, it's a business risk or it's a business opportunity. Um, and what makes, you know, our case even greater is that in that same study, only 20% of those surveyed executives said that they felt they had access to the resources that would help them mitigate, you know, that massive earnings risk. Um, so the door then opens when you share, you know, really the the intensity and the the risk of the situation. In a, in a bit, you're you're hopefully scaring people, you know, a little bit about what's at stake uh, sure. in terms of this realm. 
you know, that opens the door to a discussion about how polygauge can potentially help them, you know, mitigate and navigate those risks uh, that they face from government activity at all levels. Let's let's uh, scale this down a little bit and talk about small business. Uh, small business is the backbone of the American economy, and um, but I'm not sure how many small business owners uh, feel they have a seat at the government table. I have yeah. never, you know, I'm almost 30 years in business. I'm still a small business, and, you know, as as the government w- would define it. Um, and I've never thought that I could have a seat at the table. The closest to a seat at the table would be through one of my trade organizations who sends lobbyists uh, you know, to Washington from time to time to talk about trade deals and tariffs and things like that. And based on trade deals and tariffs at the moment, I'm not sure they were all that effective. But um, um, so small business, I think a lot of us that operate a small business are just resigned to, you know, we don't have a seat at the table. We'll just react to whatever silly things the government decides to do or good things the government decides to do. You know, I should point out, my business started as a result of government regulation. We took advantage of that government regulation. We didn't fight it, we embraced it. And we created a, a, a segment in our industry uh, that was a reaction to that government regulation. So I'm not saying government reg- regulation is always good, always bad, but it always falls on one side or the other for one business or another business in terms of this is good, this is bad for them. But, yep. but as a small business, we just kind of deal with it. We just either take advantage of it or, or change course and avoid that regulation. And, and it's just, it's like the, uh, the bumpers in, in a pinball machine. You know, we, we just get bounced off around it, but we still are committed to our journey. Uh, so how can small business feel like they have a seat at the table through polygauge um, or otherwise? Um, is it really Pollyannish to think that they can have a seat at the table or can they really have, have a seat at the table for a, 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 a price that is, you know, affordable? Obviously, if I, if I had a, a $10 million to sway a, a, a public official, I would spend $10 million to sway a public official, but the small business owners clearly don't have those resources. So yeah. tell me how uh, in the small business world, how Polygauge can work to their advantage. A hundred percent. And I I think, you know, quite frankly, it's even more than the capital expense of being able to, you know, write a fundraising check, um, which I know a lot of the cynics out there think is the only way to get involved in in government and in politics these days. And I'm here to make a case that it's not it's not true. Um, I think trade associations, you know, those types of bodies are great to get involved in. But, you know, it's more that small business owners don't have time to sit at the table. So what they need to do is focus on getting messages, you know, to those who are going to be spending the hours at the table that they're too busy, thankfully, running their businesses, scoring points, running the plays, like I mentioned before, helping our economies and and our societies. How can they make sure that their needs, that their interests, uh, and that they're communicating the things that may be hurting them to elected officials and to regulators? What are the channels for that? I mean, certainly from a business, you know, model perspective, we're trying to make it very modular, very tactical, uh, so that companies that want to learn about an issue can get that knowledge and that information. We can help them assess kind of who the targets would be that would need to hear their story and need to hear, you know, what's on their minds in terms of what's helping or hurting their company. And then they're able to, you know, go about that engagement, whether it be direct engagement, whether it be coalition building or advertising. But, you know, I think that the big thing is that it's not something that takes a lot of time and a lot of capital. Where we tend to be the most help, I would say, to small businesses is to really help them target where they should be present or where they should focus that time. And then it's a matter of communication. It's phone calls. It's letters. It's requesting a meeting. Um, Again, letting government officials know where laws or regulations you know, are uh, helping your business in terms, in particular, uh, revenue and employment. Um, Letting those regulators and those legislators know, you know, what you're doing for the communities that they're representing and where you have a presence. Hosting them at your location, you know, for tours and roundtables with your executives and your workers, really getting to know them proactively so that, you know, they have a sense, they will take your organization and its needs or have more familiarity with your industry 
so that when those table-wide conversations are occurring, you're sort of with them already, right? You don't have to necessarily be there because this is your only shot at getting your point in. You've actually been developing the relationships to get to, to be in their heads and to be with them all along. Um, and again, you know, I know plenty of businesses that don't write checks, uh, but still have great relationships with their legislators and their regulators because they've devoted just a few hours a month to making sure that they're providing the types of updates um, that they're they're really just proactively engaging, you know, those members. And yeah, sometimes having to have a tough conversation that doesn't mean the regulator or the legislator is always going to agree with you. Uh, and you may have to deal with some difficult things. And that's, again, where the trade associations or other coalitions can come in handy. And certainly services like what PolyGage offers can help in those difficult or sometimes even crisis situations. But my counsel just returns to be proactive, you know, get your list of targets and your messaging together uh, and just, you know, lather, rinse and repeat. I think that's something that we have to do in other aspects of our business. And it's the same for small businesses and, quite frankly, large businesses when it comes to government affairs as well. Yeah, it sounds like a, a scaled up uh, version of like being involved with your local chamber of commerce. You know, wh- wh- I've, I've been involved in, in the chamber uh, over the years and I have mixed feelings about it because yep. I'm, not a, I'm not a service that any one of the chamber members would ever consider buying, right? It, it's... So my motivation for being part of a chamber is not to sell to my fellow chamber members, right? If I was an insurance company, a realtor, a lawyer, an accountant, then sure, they're all potential clients, but not for me. But I, but yeah. I, I, when I was involved with the chamber, I did appreciate the, the, the tours, the site tours, the um, experts that we would bring in to speak to our group, uh, all of those things, which sounds like a, a much smaller version of what you're talking about, you know, yeah. be active, be, give tours, bring your city officials or your regulatory officials, if, if possible, to an event at your facility, let them know who you are. So you're not just a, you know, a business license number, you know, you are a, a real person. Cause I, you know, when I meet people, when I make decisions on something, I, I calculate who I know. I, it, it, they're part of the decision process or at least, I see through a lens that incorporates the people I know. Um, yep. and, and the more people that the policymakers know, the more businesses they're experienced with, the, the more insightful their decisions are going to be, I, I would assume. And I so, think the other, just the last point on that is, it's really not good when a business or any organization shows up at the last minute and says, you know, this this regulation or this law is really, really hurting me. If they haven't been proactive in trying to develop, you know, a, a solution previously. I mean, certainly that happens no matter how proactive or engaged we are, we don't always get our own way. But I think it can be very frustrating, you know, if you don't take that time uh, and then are upset with the end result. I mean, there's a million analogies we can think of from life, you know, where that's applicable in a very simple way. You don't tell your parent, your family what you want for your birthday. Don't be surprised if you don't get it for your birthday. It's kind right. of the same, the same sort of approach to things that happen on a government engagement scale too. Yeah, I learned when I first started the business, the whole philosophy of don't ask, don't get, you know, so because <laughs> right. at first you're a little embarrassed to ask. And then at some point, you know, there's no humility left you know, when That's you're right. doing business. So, uh, you know, you just ask for outrageous things and you get some of them. So one, uh, one other point, if I could, Mike, I yeah, just wanted sure. to make on that last topic too. You know, one of the other elements, you mentioned how technology has changed, you know, certainly so much in the course of our lifetimes and and obviously before that as well. You know, there are a lot of information services out there. And so I'm asked a lot about, you know, how a service like PolyGage, you know, differs from things that companies can get from, you know, information services or uh, intelligence or, you know, the types of services that are supposed to help with uh, predictive analytics and whatnot. And I always say that, you know, those services are fantastic from kind of a one directional, you know, kind of mass audience awareness perspective. You know, they can let you know what's happening, you know, out on the horizon, out on the battlefield or the playing field, depending on how you how you may be looking at it that day. Sometimes it feels like more of a battlefield. Um, But then in terms of, you know, the human intelligence element, you know, being able to decipher whether it's what you're observing from an information service or maybe what you're hearing from a trade association or a chamber meeting, 
and trying to figure out how exactly is this relevant to me or what exactly is my stake in what's happening? You know, that's where the ability to connect with a human being at the end of the day, uh, with a with an expert, with a firm, someone who really knows what they're doing because of their experience uh, and the, the time that they've spent doing it and the lessons that they've learned. You know, that's a special value add that I think we're trying to provide. Uh, and I think that you're seeing in a lot of services businesses that are trying to harness the best of technology to provide efficiencies, and transparency and access and different, you know, elements of, of that sort of technological edge. But then at the end of the day, you know, it really is about the quality of, of uh, who you're, who, who's behind the technology that's going to help you achieve what it is that you, you need to achieve to, to mitigate a risk or address a crisis or to be proactive effectively. Uh, you single-handedly are, are totally ruining Ronald Reagan's old joke, you know, oh. uh, 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 he, he solicited quite a bit of laughter from his audience when he said, hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, so tell me how, how a, a typical company, I know there is not one type of typical company, but just, just maybe an example in the few minutes we have left, um, yep. how um, working with PolyGage through experts for a seat at the table, uh, either literally or figuratively, uh, can can help a uh, a uh, a business. You know, I, I know we're talking about having a seat at the table, government regulations, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But give me like a a, a takeaway from uh, maybe a smaller company that had a problem, found a solution through an engagement with a company like yours. Absolutely. So um, I'll share with you, you know, kind of in, in, in a big picture, um, we have a variety of different clients uh, who just want regular intelligence. You know, they want the information that's been very customized, you know, for their needs, whether that's, you know, related to a state government or a local issue, um, whether it's something at the federal level or something at the global level. And so we've had clients who've wanted to know, you know, what on the agenda of the Biden administration really has the possibility of impacting me both for negative and for positive. I think folks forget it's not just about regulation. Uh, the government does provide a lot of, you know, stimulus funding and uh, uh, research funding that can help companies achieve some of their R&D objectives and other elements. And so wanting to get a sense, you know, through consultations uh, or through memos about things that may be happening in that regard, uh, things that are on the congressional agenda, or as I mentioned, things that are happening in a state government level, because a lot of federal money gets transferred to the states to then be distributed to companies and to citizens. Uh, and so it's important to really understand how the states that you have a presence in, you know, are managing that and how you can best uh, participate, you know, if that's something that you wanna participate in. And a lot of those companies don't wanna be the ones aggregating all of this information from the, God, I don't know about you, but I probably get 50 different informational e-blasts a day and there's other information services that I subscribe to. Um, and so a company like PolyGage can really help, you know, focus on the wheat and not the chaff when it comes to what's happening from an activity perspective. We have other clients who really just need some initial research done uh, or a jump start that they can then use to build off of. So a great example, we've worked with some startups, you know, that are maybe doing, looking to do pilots uh, in different states uh, or sometimes in different countries. And they're trying to access where they're going to have kind of the, the quickest path to being able to launch or to do those pilots given different regulations in different cities or different states. Um, we've also had companies who've come to us wanting assessments on the concept of ESG, you know, which is probably a whole podcast we could talk about. And I know relevant to, to many, if not all in the industry, uh, the electronics industry, but uh, sometimes needing a jump start about how do we think about what to measure and how to monitor and that type of thing. And then just one really specific example that we're especially proud of at PolyGage um, is more in the government procurement lens. So companies that want to potentially sell into the government, we have a number of experts who can help with that. And there was a textile manufacturer uh, down in the state of Alabama 
who during the COVID period, you know, really wanted to pivot their manufacturing operations and start producing PPE. Uh, and while they had private sector channels that they could certainly sell into, you know, with those products, um, as we all know, state governments and certainly the U.S. government was looking to procure as much of that stuff as they could get their hands on, especially if it was, you know, made in the United States, which this uh, client's products were 100% made in the United States, masks and gowns and other types wow. of PPE. But they had no idea how to sell, you know, in the state of Alabama, let alone outside of the state of Alabama and into the U.S. federal government. And so the short of it is they came to polygage.com after hearing about us, thankfully, through some of the awareness generation that we had been developing. Uh, and they were able to work with, you know, about a dozen different state government experts to get the lay of the land initially on, you know, do you think we have an opportunity? What would it take? And then that sort of consultation progressed into more of a discovery project. And then eventually uh, the experts were in the states in which they chose to pursue uh, some procurement opportunities, you know, helped them with the rest of the process to get their bids in and that sort of thing. The same with the federal government, uh, I won't name names, but a, a large federal government agency that, that needed uh, PPE for hundreds of their employees. Uh, they, this company was able to, to get uh, the contract there. And it's something they simply wouldn't have had the knowledge, you know, to, to do just in-house, understandably. They were hugely successful with what they did, but this was a whole other realm that they wanted to break into. Um, and then also, you know, going with a traditional law firm or a traditional consulting firm where you're going to get put on a massive retainer and basically told, we hope we can get you some success you know, that just doesn't work. And right. so I think um, the opportunity that PolyGage poses, again, to be very a la carte, all 150 of our firms and experts are available on a per drink basis. You pay for a consultation, you pay for a project, you pay for an assessment, you can pay for, you know, more recurring services if that's where the path leads you. But it becomes something that is just so accessible and tangible, you know, to smaller businesses, uh, or we're a great Swiss army knife for larger companies that have a government affairs practice. Uh, but, you know, they're constantly uh, telling me that they're playing the game of whack-a-mole and there's <laughs> always a new mole <laughs> that's kind of popping up every week that they need to get some intelligence on or potentially engage on. And so the flexibility, um, you know, that our company provides in the government and public affairs space and it's largely because of our technology platform, the ability to make these experts discoverable and engageable so efficiently. Um, that's the, the special sauce that we think we're bringing to the table um, and that we can use to, to help you know, companies and organizations, trade associations, nonprofits. We've even worked with embassies, uh, investors, et cetera. Uh, we think we can be really effective doing that. Well, I love the level playing field that your, your services uh, strive to provide, which is me as a small business can get just as detailed information and assistance on a small sliver of what I need. You know, when you run a small business, you can't afford the whole plate, right? You're, you're only eating appetizers. You know, you're only eating, you know, basically a, a tapas menu of, of, of um, selections on any. A lot of times you're eating leftovers. That's right. That's true. That's true. Little microwave leftovers of tapas meals. So, That's um, you know, and, and I don't think that, has really been available before. Usually you have to hire a law firm or a lobbyist firm and they're big and they're, you know, it's just the same with advertising agencies and things like that. You can't just go to a, you know, Fifth Avenue advertising agency and, or Seventh, whatever, whatever avenue they're on and, um, and run one ad in a local paper, right? And it sounds like your services are the equivalent of that. If you have one tiny splinter uh, in your, uh, in your business uh, and you can hire an expert to identify that splinter and remove it. You don't have to have an entire surgical team, you know, yeah. to see, you said you were, you were good with analogies. See, I love, I love analogies analogy, too. Mike. I love I'm analogies too. All my friends make fun one. of me because I always come up with a response based on an analogy and they go, well, here he yeah. goes again. But, well, um, but I love it. We, we can help with the splinters or with the whole log, you know, and I will just make one other point. Um, which is that on the, you know, we're, a, we're an online marketplace. So we've got our demand side in terms of our clients. And then, of course, the supply side. I've talked about these 150 firms with all of the related experts. Um, they're very interested in participating in PolyGage, 
you know, not because they're struggling in business. These are all very successful advisors, consultants. I mean, many of our experts are previously elected officials. They've been diplomats. They've been government affairs executives in their own right. What they're interested in doing is being able to expand their reach, expand the constituents or the clients, really the clients uh, that they can help and that they that and they can do so in a way that, you know, the business model needs to match what those clients are, are capable of, of, of participating. And, you know, if you think of it like an iceberg, you know, the companies to date that, to your point, have been participating in government and public affairs with these, you know, white shoe firms, it's it's been a terrific business. That's been the above the waterline piece of the iceberg. And what I think an e-commerce approach and providing the ability to engage and transact you know, for all of those organizations that are below the waterline. Um, and as we know, mo- much of the, most of the iceberg is below the waterline. It's That's not right. above. Um, it's a it huge wasn't, business It wasn't the iceberg the, the, above the waterline that sunk the Titanic. It was no. the iceberg below the waterline. It was 90% that was below. That's, That's right. right. That's right. So we're, we're excited to tackle both parts of the iceberg, the, the splinters and the logs. But I would say I think we have a huge opportunity with an element of the government or really the business and organizational community that isn't even participating in the government and public affairs realm because it just hasn't been accessible to them before. Last question as we have to wrap up. Um, yeah. I'm going to ask you what the future holds for Polygage. Now, I, when you ask someone who's you know fairly brand new in business what the future holds, it's to keep the doors open tomorrow, right? I'm not <laughs> suggesting that's your case, but that's, I remember back then if someone were to ask me, what's the future? Like, I have no idea. It's survival, right? That, it, yeah. that was my case. But where do you see uh, Polygage going, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now? You know, five or 10 years, I hope that we have really achieved, you know, um, an incredibly, you know, dynamic and, and the the exponential curve in terms of our revenue growth. I hope that we're adding, you know, 100 new clients to our roles every month. Uh, we're, we're able to achieve that level of, you know, awareness and, and really just kind of speed of acquisition um, and that we're returning, you know, the profitability that we've pledged that we're chasing to our investors, that we're able to bring more investors on and just continue to scale. Um, where I'll tell you, I'd like to be probably 10 years or beyond um, and maybe this is proof that I'm not, you know, yet jaded. Uh, I'm still kind of enjoying this this uh, rock climbing journey. Um, is that I really think that Polygage can become a go-to platform, you know, for companies and organizations looking to engage in government activity. I want them to be the I want to be the first place that they come, you know, to look for an expert or look for an advisor uh, who can help them. Uh, you know, I want us to have the the same usability of of an Amazon uh, in terms of our kind of you know e-commerce marketplace approach. I want to enable the best experts in the world. We are we have a carefully vetted network. That's why we've really stuck to 150 to date. Although we will continue to grow, so we can cover uh, more issues and whatnot. Uh, uh, but you know, I really want that to be an efficient, transparent fun, if I can. You rarely hear the term fun when it comes to government affairs and public affairs, but I I want it to be a fun and and really seamless journey um, for those companies and organizations to engage in something that, like I said earlier, poses tremendous business risk and opportunity. Um, And we've got to have, you know, we've got to level the playing field. We've got to bring more of these companies and organizations into this industry. It's a win-win for everybody to have more of their voices heard and to have voices heard more effectively. Um, And sometimes even the big companies, you know, just to make sure that they're able to ward off uh, issues that can then impact, you know, their hundreds or thousands of employees. It's important for them to have a voice as well. Well, this this has been... um quite enlightening and uh, inspirational. So uh, thank you, Christine Davies, for being my guest today. And I wish you, uh, I don't think I need to wish you luck. I say that fairly regularly, but I I mean it every time. Um, I I think you already have uh, enough skill and enough momentum and enough drive and good karma uh, to to have a successful business. Well, thanks, Mike. It's it's also... uh, really um, uh, inspirational to talk to a business owner who created something that did not exist before. Uh, That does not happen that often. Usually, as I said earlier, it's more evolution more than revolution. Uh, But this seems a little bit more on the revolution side. So uh, I'll I'll keep an eye on Polygage. And, um, you know, if, if my business 
needs uh, some services, I'll certainly consider that as well. I've, I've never even considered that before because I didn't well, think it was anywhere within my grasp. So we've, nice we've got know. a consultation on your horizon, Mike. We'll, we'll plan for that when we get off this <laughs> podcast. But thank you so much and, and look forward to being of any service we can to be to you and your business and certainly that of your viewers and, and listeners as well. Thanks so much for, for having me today. My pleasure. Thank you for being my guest. And for our listeners and our, our viewers, uh, if you'd like to get a hold of uh, Christine Davies at Polygage, uh, you can go to the show notes. If you're listening to this in the car, the treadmill, wherever you're listening to it, um, go to your podcast provider. That could be uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, look at the show notes and we'll have contact information for Christine. If you're watching this on YouTube, just look down, click the uh, show more uh, uh, link and you'll see Christine's contact information there. So again, Christine, thanks for being my guest, viewers and listeners. I'll talk to you again very soon. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Concept to Creation podcast. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, please be sure and subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and virtually wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this in the car and you would like to see the video version of this, as soon as you get home, as soon as you get back to the office, be sure and search for us on our YouTube channel, the Concept of Creation YouTube channel. When you're on the YouTube channel, be sure and hit the subscribe button and hit that bell icon so you'll be notified of new episodes as soon as they're released. We do release new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks. I was meant to be free